we had an exchange with uh, North Sherping with one school in Birmingham in a real inner city poor area where the children have never been outside their local area. It totally changed one of those girls. She flipped her learning and has just been offered a place at Oxford. And she says that she would never have dreamed of being able to make such a bold step out of her community had she not had her eyes open. Hi and welcome to the podcast CAD Talks. Our purpose is to discuss important topics affecting teachers and students and to inspire you to take action around them. My name is Karin Rådberg and I will be hosting this first episode. I work as a project leader in Kunskapsskolan Sweden and I also host the podcast Skolprat in Swedish. But today I'm recording from my home in Stockholm and with me I have Sunita Namayar and John Boomer. Hi and welcome! Sunita, can you tell me something about yourself? And where are you sitting right now? You're not in my bedroom in Stockholm, I know that for sure. I, I'm in my bedroom in India, in Gurgaon, that's where we are. And uh, yes, um, who am I? Okay, I am an educator, have been a teacher for a number of years, but currently I hold the designation of CEO of Kunskapskolen India. I have been in Kunskapskolen or with Kunskapskolen for about nine and a half years now. So that's been a great, great journey. Thank you. And John, where are you sitting right now? Well, I'm sort of in my uh, garden shed and uh, I'm looking out in the northwest of England here at rain. It's been raining for 24 hours. It rains all the time here. And then because I'm English, I'm sitting with a cup of tea as well to uh, get me through this. Yes, yeah, so I'm John Bomber and at the moment, apart from looking after the schools in the UK that are inspired by Kunskapskolen, I'm the Associate Professor of Education at the University of Bolton and I head up the International Centre for Educational Enhancement. But our work isn't sort of all about research and policy, it's about making the best of education work within classrooms and schools. So I work apart from our schools, I work with about 60 or 70 schools here and around the world. Oh, interesting. And so much experience gathering this podcast, in this recording today. I think what you're saying is we're old. Is that what you're telling me? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm glad she just stopped at old and not ancient and one foot in the grave. I, someone was writing a bid and using my name uh, last week and they described me as the veteran educator, which I made them take out. But that, for me, that would be like so nice to hear later on in my career that I'm a veteran. I would like that. Oh, well, I said I'd prefer legend. Oh yeah, if <laughs> you could choose legend. Another typical Swedish question, because John told me about the weather. And in Sweden we talk a lot about the weather. So how is the weather in India in Gurgaon, Sunita? Oh, it's it's extremely hot and uh, it's been very sunny. Uh, we've been having about temperatures close to about 40 degrees. But uh, for the last couple of days it's been much, much better. We've had a bit of a storm and therefore it's been around 25, 20, 24-25, which is far more pleasant of course than the 40 but it's still warm, it's still uh, humid, and uh, I wish I was in Sweden. 
any day i'm willing to exchange Okay, so we all work uh, with M4 Kunskapsskolan, but we have uh, different roles and we work in different countries. And before COVID hit us and the world, we used to have a lot of exchanges between our schools in our international network in order to work together, to share experience and to make the school experience more interesting for everyone. But since the start of the pandemic, we haven't had any exchanges. And today we're going to talk about how to continue to build global collaboration, even though a lot of things have changed during the last years. So John, why do you think that international collaboration is so important? I think that the pandemic has illustrated this, that we live in a global society and we can't let our children think that they can isolate themselves in their local community or their local country and the like. So before we started this, I was just sharing with Sunita that the Indian variant has really hit us here in the UK, in this part of the world, because of the families related to that area. Uh, and, you know, we're congratulating ourselves on the impact the pandemic has been held at because of our vaccination programme. But it, it's only just a small thing like that has set it all off again. So th getting young people to understand that in this world, you know, the, the answers to our big problems, whether it is climate change or whatever, are not going to be solved by thinking in our own particular way. And I think in the UK, we've exhibited this with Brexit, that in fact, there is a big nationalist movement in many countries to think inward and not outwards. We know, don't we, as educators, that young people need to understand diversity, they need to understand the cultures, and they need to really get inside that rather than just read what the headlines are in the paper and the sort of radio and television commentary from people who think very differently. So I think it almost should be a unique selling point of education within Kunskapskolen to draw on our international network and get young people to understand that diversity. But, you know, if you're living in a small house in, in the northwest England here and you have very little experience outside your community, you don't understand the diversity, you don't understand the culture. And so to trying to get in at a personal level with people, whether it's talking, whether it's like this, or whether it's exchanges. But I think that, you know, you were right to say that, you know, the physical exchanges, you know, we haven't been able to do those and, and who knows when. We're not going anywhere soon. But I think we should not underestimate the importance of those when we can. They may not be as expansive, but I think, Sunita, you know, some of the students from Sweden that have visited you will be changed by the fact that they were physically with you. And uh, I had a strange situation recently where in September, it's 50 years since I stepped inside my first classroom. And I got a, a phone call from someone I taught in my second year of teaching, who is now in his 60s. Can you believe it? He loves mountaineering, he loves going out and walking in the countryside, and he said, this is all because of you. This is because you took me skiing. This is because you took me on geography field trips to wild places. And I'm telling you, that has been the heart of my life. One more example, uh, we had an exchange with uh, North Sherping, with one school in Birmingham, in a real inner city poor area, where the children have never been outside their local area it totally changed one of those girls to a point that she's flipped her learning and has just been offered a place at Oxford. 
and she says that she would never have dreamed of being able to make such a bold step out of her community had she not had her eyes opened and not had that opportunity. So although it's going to be hard and difficult, you know, and I think we can substitute it and have to in a whole range of ways that technology has allowed us to do, I think we shouldn't forget we should try and look for some of those opportunities because it does change lives. It's so important what you're thinking, John, and I remember because when Sunita described the heat in India, I know it because I was in India two years ago, I think it was, and I went to Taj Mahal even though it was 40 degrees, so I understand because I've been there and, and also I've been to visiting schools in England, a few of them, and that is like you can't read it in a book even though you can understand a bit by reading or but you need to be there to, to, to smell, to try the food, to talk to the people. It's important, so I really understand what you are saying. Sunita, it is a pandemic and we know that the teachers are working really hard and the students, they work even harder, I guess, from home. So how can we encourage teachers and students to engage in global collaborations? Um. Karen, I think it's, you know, you're completely right. The teachers are so fatigued and stressed and there's so much happening in their lives. And I think they're working so many more hours than they ever did before. And at this point of time, it is going to be something that has to be really fantastic for them to want to be a part of it. You know, you have to bring in that joy, that excitement so that they want to be a part of it. And for me, I'd say the first thing is we need to be able to create the right opportunities for them, you know, make it something that, you know, they can easily step into without you know it being too complicated. It should be something I definitely believe it has to be something which is within the curriculum, because at this point of time, adding on another layer may not be uh, the best thing to do. So if it is something that, you know, is common across schools and there is plenty actually within the curriculum that can lend itself to conversations, discussions across, uh, you know, grades. So you have common topics about gender, equity, equality, you know, climate change, environment that we all are concerned about. Everybody wants to do something about it. And so if we can pick up those things across, you know, and find that thread, I think it will excite both the students as well as uh, teachers. If I was to look at students, I think there's nothing that excites them more than the thought that then they can bring about change, that they can impact lives. Uh, and if we can create uh, passion projects around that, you know, something that they're passionate about, something that will make them, uh, you know, feel that they have contributed, that they have added value. I don't see teachers or students not being excited about it. We spoke also about future skills. In Kunstkapskolen, every part of what we do, we keep linking it to the future skills. And I think it's equally important for the students to see where you know these engagements or these connections, what does it help them build? What kind of future skills are they developing? Uh, and I think that's another very important part, you know, that we can create opportunities for. From a teacher's perspective, I think another thing that I believe will excite them would be autonomy. The, the sense of ownership, the sense that I can drive it, the sense is it's, it's my project, my thought, my idea that's being encouraged and finding an outlet. 
I believe that that's going to be something that's going to be phen phenomenal if he can provide it. You know, we have a lot of teacher proners, you know, innovative classroom, uh, you know, practitioners who are willing to take risks, who have entrepreneurial uh, leadership skills, and they see something that is there in their school that they want to bring about change in, or feel that there is an opportunity for it to develop. Probably there are schools, you know, who are damn good at that particular area, connecting them, letting them learn from one another, bringing that learning into their schools and seeing change happening in their schools. I think that's another thing that I think we can do to encourage teachers. So it, it's, it's more about giving them uh, a platform, creating connections and then letting them drive it. There is a huge cross-cultural learning that can come out of this. I remember a few years ago we started an exchange between Sweden and, and, and Gurgaon, India about the future skills for the younger students. They had like a digital exchange. They presented their base group and their schoolyard. And I remember the Swedish students, they were so <laughs> envious about how the Indian schoolyard looked like and this vice versa. And it was just, I just love these small films that they made. They, so they had like small, what do you say? Like small tasks to solve in their base group. And they say presented their base group teachers like this is the best teacher in the world. It didn't cost any money, not so much time. And we had material for the teachers and the students to work on. So things like that, that they can easily engage and just maybe they can't smell India or England. Absolutely. Maybe it's a good idea. They can't smell India, but that aside, <laughs> I think that was something that we saw also with the physical exchanges, you know, so like you said earlier, yeah. no matter how much you read about a, a place or a country, it's when you step on its soil and you see the, you know, the sight, the sounds, the smells, and the way people are, because, you know, people yeah. across the world are quite different in the way they approach, you know, simple, single things. But it's, it's so great to understand what cultural differences are. I heard John talk about COVID and what is happening, right? It is a global phenomenon. But if you look at the way the different countries have dealt with it, there's a huge amount of learning. The way Sweden managed COVID situation and where we are managing in India or UK is managing it is quite, quite different. But if you get the kids to start thinking about it and putting it in the context that they're living in and try and understand why those differences were made, uh, what was the thought behind it, how has it impacted, what's been the socio-economic uh, uh, you know, impact of those decisions that were made, I think it will be brilliant for our kids. Uh, from a teacher perspective, the professional development of a teacher, I think it's going to be a huge upward trajectory just to understand how uh, you know, we deal with different things. When we talk about uh, the CAD program, we know the frame exists and within the frame we function differently. But to see those differences and see why those differences are and what's the impact of those differences on student outcomes or uh, the way students um, take the CAD program and succeed. I think that's also a great learning, isn't it? Both for a teacher as well as for a student. So I'd say this has huge advantages and I think just the fact that students and teachers are given opportunities should encourage them to succeed. One last bit I want to add and I've spoken a lot, I'm going to stop here. I think it's good to acknowledge teachers 
who take that risk or stretch themselves a little more to uh, you know take part in these kind of engagements so whether it is in a newsletter or whether it is them being able to present the outcome of their uh, projects to school leaders in Sweden or in you know in a global community like when we have our cat conference or you know i think it's going to be a huge um, up for a teacher i get so many ideas talking to you so nice working with school is like you can never get old or tired of because always new perspectives pops up i've learned like in sweden we do these surveys every year and the students are very satisfied so we've been discussing how can the students be so satisfied i mean we are doing a great job of course but they've been sitting home so what we are discussing now is the importance that students now maybe with the pandemic realized how important the school is in the society have you used the same discussions in your countries i i think our experience was slightly different karen because our our parents were happy with you know the online teaching they they didn't have any problems but the students were not happy not being in school not being able to meet their friends and overall the learning experience that they would normally have inside a classroom is quite different from what they are experiencing in at home so while they may have achieved their learning outcomes they still not happy with this online platform so we didn't get a great uh, response from the students saying they're satisfied with their learning their school experience this year so that's seen a huge drop in fact from the parent side it was good i i think it i think it's been quite mixed uh and i think that uh, i had the privilege of doing some research uh through the last summer and uh talking to lots of young people about how it felt and yes children are really keen to get back and have that personal relationship but not all of them some of them really did well in lockdown i spoke to one child who probably had adhd who'd been able to manage his life without the distractions and made so much more progress he was astounding his teachers and another girl who was a real high performer who said she never wanted to go back because she felt that she could develop her work she wasn't interrupted by teachers talking at her the whole time also she felt safer and giving her views online because sometimes she felt uncomfortable about what people were thinking about her even if they weren't so there was quite a, a range and um, you know I spoke to a group of four boys who'd clearly done nothing whatsoever at home and they were saying so when we come back will you tell the teachers that we're dumb and and uh, will we have to go into detention after school because we haven't done any of the work so so there's a real mix of this and from a parental point of view i think sunita's right that initially i mean given that it's 18 months they really valued and understood what teachers do because it was really hard to do it as a adult in and a parent but i think it's all become really complicated now because it's gone on so long people are trying to get back to work children are being sent home from school because of a case and it's all really messy and i think that um, you know we're beginning to lose the, the what as a profession we gained one final thing is that and this relates very much to Kunskap Skolan's approach the schools that i work with here in the uk that have a good coaching climate really kept the coaching going online through the whole period 
And what I've learned, not just talking to Kunskap School and schools, but to all schools, is that those schools that did that and kept that personal contact with the young people are the ones who kept them learning through this process. You know, learning from that, it may well be that we can coach in different ways. Maybe we don't have to physically be in the same room all the time. Perhaps there's a technology there that we can actually use that's different. And, and group coaching as well, where the kids were building their metacognitive skills together by talking about, I did it this way. Oh, that's a good idea. You know, so I think there are things we've learned from that, but I think it's been very mixed. Yeah, thank and I talked to another a student in the Swedish podcast we have who said that her experience was that when the you know the school nurse and the, you know where you go if you, if you have any problems to talk to and they they are digitally now and she said it opens up for students who are shy or afraid of of going to that room where everybody can see that oh she went into that room to visit this person but now when it's digitally it's more open to everyone she said so then you can think about maybe we can have it open both both the physical room but also like to have it digitally open for students so that's interesting karin and there's no reason is there why we can't have global classrooms you know we've started thinking about this i mean we're sitting yeah. here in a global classroom you're in sweden sudita's in india and i'm here in the uk and and we could be in the same place so yeah. We are talking about global collaboration. Can you describe some examples of what has been done and also what is going to happen between our schools later on? So um, apart from physically visiting, what sort of things could we do and have we done? So um, we had a, a link with one of our schools just outside London with Sponga uh, and it was an art project and they did some joint artwork together and they shared the work digitally and otherwise. Actually, in this particular case, there was a physical link as well. But I think it's perfectly possible. We don't need to see this as froth. We don't need to see this as nice things to do around the outside. We need to make it central. We could have a theme for an art piece of work that's within the Swedish, within the Indian, within the English curriculum. And we could all work on it. We could then peer review and talk, look, this, what do you think of this? How do you think I could improve this? We can use the technology for that. So I think, you know, it, it's starting to think that the curriculum should be global and the curriculum should enable those sorts of responses. Secondly, right at the very beginning when Cecilia Aronson was uh, developing the first buddying programs, you know, we, had, we tried to structure it too much. And sometimes you need to allow kids just to buddy up and talk to one another and get to know one another first before you actually, you know, go into anything serious. So I don't think you just go into the art or the geography project, but I think kids need to trust one another and learn and talk about things they want to talk about rather than what we want them to talk about. We had some, some other examples. So uh, when we were working with our schools in New York, we found they were both reading Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. But they all came to it with very different perspectives. Because if you're a black child living in Manhattan, you think about that in a different way than you're a white child living in southwest England. So that was really powerful and it got onto a discussion about the slave trade. And again, the English students were totally shocked by the impact of slavery on the psyche of the students in Manhattan and the like. So I think finding those points within our curriculum where we can work and learn and share, because that's great learning, isn't it? It's not just learning stuff, it's being able to yeah. talk about it, criticize it, apply it, that what creates the building. And a way to engage the student, because sometimes Absolutely. we talk about yeah. the lack yeah. of motivation. Yeah. 
And um, final two things is that, I mean, we're talking about students here, but I think, as you mentioned, Karin, the impact on us as teachers is also important. So my work at the moment at the university is all about creating powerful and curious learning and, you know, working with teachers to think about how we actually bring that to reality. And again, you know, there are things that you do better in Sweden and India than we do in England and vice versa. Well, in fact, I'm working with some teachers in Trelleborg at the moment and we're, you know, we're working together on projects and we're learn and it's it enriches the work we do because we come from a different perspective of, to of understanding. And, fi and finally, um, we had Passy Salberg, the great Finnish educator, talk to us recently. And one of the things he was talking about was skills for the 21st century, future skills. And what he was saying is that, yeah, that's fine. But actually, we need to understand, particularly after this pandemic, what being human is and enable our young people to do that. So thinking about generosity, thinking about kindness, thinking about trust and finding ways of getting young people internationally to think about how we would do that and what that means, I think, is a whole strand that the pandemic's forced us to think about or should be forcing us to think about. Yeah, that would be just lovely to think about those things that can't be measured, but helps us learn more about ourselves. So when can we do it then? There's the international collaborations between schools. Maybe after the summer, can we do something more? Okay, I think we have a problem at the moment in that uh, school leaders and school organisations have focused very much on operational matters. How yeah. can we get kids back? How can we do that? How can we fill the gap? How can we do this? How can we appoint teachers? How can you know? There's a lot of that, and I think if we aren't careful, that will consume us for some time, and we will miss the impetus that we've had and the thinking that we've had. So somehow or other, we could look at it a different way. And we could say, actually, there's a bit of a gap at the moment because we can't work normally. Can we use this time when we don't have children normally in schools and all the rest of it to really frame where we're going with this? Can we think about that? And can we think about how we could make it embedded in what we do as opposed to little bits of projects here and there? Mm -hmm. But I think there's an important step along the way, and I think it relates to school leaders. It's a long time since, as head of Salshabaden, that I was sitting in a, a school chef meeting in uh, Sweden. But they were consumed with operational things. We very rarely talked about learning, but actually what our job is. And if you go into English head teachers meetings, they're exactly the same. So if we say, if we really believe that one of the driving things that's different about what we believe in and value in in education in Kunskap School and we say something don't we about making young people think about tomorrow's problem and solve the world's problem if we believe that we have to get our school leaders to say yes this is what we have to do and this is what I am going to do to make that happen and now is the time to do that is to get every one of them to understand just take that sentence and say do we all believe this is important? Is this going to be the unique thing about Kunskap Skolen as opposed to other settings? Because we, we have an unusual global network to draw on. And if that is so, what then are we going to do? And can we have some defined pieces of curriculum work and project work to make that happen? And you also, you also answered a bit like, how should we start then? Start with the principles, but what else, Anita? Do you have any other ideas? 
Well, I I think the first uh, will be definitely what John said. You know, you get the heads of school on board, but I think you can also kind of look at communication that goes out to all people about the project. You know, talking about it, creating that excitement, that curiosity, that engagement with them. I think that would be a great way to connect and see are there people who are really looking for such opportunities to you know get into passion projects or get into projects which are curricular in nature or even sometimes may not be curricular but something that they feel will add value to the students in you know some form or the other so maybe that's something that we can look at is you know share a communication and create the platform or the forum where you know great ideas just come together and you know teachers who are interested just pick it up from that forum without going through so many, too many layers because sometimes what happens is that you know it gets lost between the umpteen layers that happen you know between okay uh, you know somebody from the head office kind of planning the thing then it going to the head of schools then going to the teachers then going to the students sometimes it gets lost so maybe it's a good idea to say okay fine this is a place where you can communicate with any teacher in the Kunskapskola network and any teacher who's interested can just post it there saying guys I'm looking for somebody who's interested in doing a project on gender anybody interested and you probably yeah. will kind of just get that you know 10 people kind of responding saying yep definitely there and that may be something that we can look at and um, then of course looking at how those outcomes work because sometimes a project uh, needs to have it, you know some things embedded in it you know what are we doing this for what's the outcome we are looking at you may need to do some course corrections over a period of time so yeah. look at how those projects evolve because sometimes if those projects you know teachers do a project find that it's not very successful they then drop the idea so rather than arriving at that place I'd say okay let's look at the project let's have somebody mentor them through it if required if not required then let them run the on their own course but evaluate it at the end and say okay what can be done more and so that it doesn't become something that's a one-off project I feel it should be a part and parcel of the entire program itself when we're talking about the care program this global engagement this global connection and collaboration should be a part and parcel of who we are perhaps it should be a quality area absolutely i think it should be it should be a part of our framework i'd say if i was a school chef and i was being judged by my global reach i would do it if i was a teacher and people would be expecting me to show what i had done i would do it and that's not that's that's a bit of a stick rather than a carrot because we want them to want to do it but I think if we believe that this is a, an important part of what we do, we have to get to that point. And if we don't take this opportunity now, we will go back into our normal flow and it will end up being quite piecemeal. I agree, uh, John. I think while you said, you know, there's a lot of operational and administrative things that are, you know, taking up our time. But at the same time, there are certain things which are very important for us as an organization, isn't it? When you're looking at giving teachers an opportunity to develop as professionals, as teachers, as you know, it, it's all there. And a project of these, uh, you know, of this kind actually can build all of this and more. And therefore, I'd say let's not wait, let's do it as early as possible. 
um, yes it may be a bit of a additional responsibility and additional time consumption I guess but if it is something that is of value to everybody I'm sure you will have takers for it so we have a lot of experience now that we gather during this uh, pandemic I was supposed to say year but it's years soon to be so if we sum it up a bit from India and from England, what have we learned and what can we use in the future to end up this very nice conversation? I think from an India perspective, what we have learned is that technology is here to stay. Two years ago, we were using technology, but we were not using it to the extent we are using it now. Today, I have a five-year-old who can log on to Zoom, go into a breakout room, uh, you know, chat, share messages, upload files. I wouldn't have believed that was possible uh, two years ago, right? Today, I'm seeing our students do it. Five and a half year olds, grade one students, they are doing it. So for me, that's a huge learning that technology is something that we felt our students can't handle, the younger ones. Today, we know that they can. Um, I'd say the second bit is that our students are resilient. It's come out much more stronger, one and a half years of being stuck at home. Uh, yes, there are challenges. I'm not questioning that. I know there are other, uh, you know, concerns, well-being concerns that we need to address in this uh, situation. But at the same time, I do see uh, ability of our students to be adaptable and resilient. So that's another I won't say learning, but it's kind of reinforced. And I'd say the third one is we've got amazing teachers, really amazing teachers, people who really want our children to succeed, uh, succeed, who are willing to put that additional effort, hours, time, just to see the kids be well, you know, both emotionally as well as uh, from an academic rigor perspective. And I totally agree and I get goosebumps because like in this Zoom meeting, you can see it that you really believe that teachers are so important. What do you want to share, John? I've got um, a, a couple of concerns and then a sort of personal perspective. I think what it is highlighted here in the UK and I suspect everywhere else is the inequity in our society. And I think we've had to rethink what disadvantage means because we had a very simplistic view in related to poverty and it isn't just that. The impact it's had on some, you know, again, if you just look to Finland and many Scandinavian countries that have, have really worked hard on equity and equality and through equity getting excellence, we haven't had that perspective here. And it's really sharpened the divide between people and families in our society. So I think that, that we, have, we have an enhanced legacy and perhaps a mission to do something more about that. Secondly, I agree with Sunita about the technology, but isn't it interesting, here we are 15 months later and, and you're, we're doing things now we would never have dreamed of done, the three of us, but actually how many times do we go on a Zoom or a Google and it doesn't work and then you leave your mute button on? You know, I'm not sure we've become much better at all of this. Uh, we've just seen our way through it. And I think, um, uh, I think as well, we haven't always transferred the technology to the pedagogy. So I think there's a piece of work to do about how we now, in a much more hybrid way, capitalise on the technology and get this right. And then on the personal front, I think that we have grossly 
underestimated the mental well-being of this pandemic. On most people it's had an effect and some people really, really difficult. But I think for all of us, and I say myself personally, it, it has. I've been locked in the shed for 15 months basically. And we are resilient and we do, you know, we're positive when we're doing these things. But uh, and it has been really, really tough. I think that we need to be aware of that. And when we get our teachers back, we're, we're developing a coaching framework for teachers now. We believe that every teacher in our school should have a coach. And we've got a proper programme. We're training teachers to, to coach themselves and build that programme. We, we know, don't we, with coaching children, the best thing we do about it is if we listen to them and give them a voice. And we don't do that with our teachers. We don't give them that time. If you're a nurse or a doctor, you are entitled to clinical supervision. As a teacher, despite the toughness of our job, we don't do that and it's not good enough. And I think particularly where we are, that mental well-being is important. So you learnt a lot about relationships and the values within that. And my family have been really, really important. You know, I've spent more time strangely talking to them because they don't live near me. Um, and, and I've, I've come to understand how little time I put into them and how if they are this important to me through this why I need to rearrange that sort of thinking. And I was reading a book it's called Head, Hand and Heart and basically it's saying we have overvalued head, we've overvalued the academic, we overvalue professions where they're using their brain and high levels of education as being that. But what we've seen through the pandemic is those people who are stacking supermarket shelves, those people who are delivering our post and Amazon parcels, those people who are in our hospitals looking after us and caring for us, we're now calling key workers because we understand that the job they do is vital. They're poorly paid, they're poorly represented, and yet they've kept us going through this period. So I think the other thing I've learned is to rethink and recalibrate what is important and who is important and how we respond to those people. I can totally agree with you about everything. It's been, and it still is, really different. Everything, like life changed with the pandemic in many, many, many ways. And hopefully, and what we've been talking about is to take action around those things that now we can see that we need to change a few things. Absolutely. I, I, I think, um, you know, while Quite a few of us are okay and fine, but we, when we speak to, at least here in India, I'm speaking to teachers and I'm speaking to parents, and we've lost a few parents. We've lost, uh, you know, uh, members of your teachers' families and things like that. And the struggle that they are going through, it's horrible, you know, especially during the last month or so where, you know, beds were not available, oxygen was not available. I, I don't even want to think about what we went through you know, a month ago, it was that bad. But what I also saw was the sense of community that happened as a result of that, because I saw people, you know, reach out, uh, provide support, just check on people and say, are you okay? Are you fine? Can we help in any way? Uh, you know, I've got medicines, Is would you want, to, you know, so within communities, you saw that sharing. I think that was something that gave me uh, a a positive feeling in the midst of all this chaos. I think that was something that I felt very strongly about. But when I looked at our students, I believe that going forward, you know, besides checking for understanding, we have to check for wellness because otherwise you are going to find stu students falling on the wayside. I was reading some research yesterday where they were looking at happiness 
in teachers and uh, the impact of happy teachers on their children. And they'd done some surveys around Martin Seligman's learned optimism and helplessness. Uh, and uh, that it was really, really stark that those teachers that had a positive mindset, the impact they had on their young children and their progress of their students was considerably more. It's not strange, is it? I mean, you know, and students seek out happy teachers. But, you know, the wellness of our teachers and their optimism, their positive thinking is actually what makes the difference to great teaching and learning. And as you said, Sunita, the other way around about the wellness of our youngsters. Maybe that would be another topic for the kid talks another time, because now we have to wrap this very, very interesting and touching conversation. So big thank you for being here today and have a nice day. Mm-hmm.